You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. And welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show, the show where we want to talk about everything. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado. Just a quick plug for a couple of things, a couple of order of uh, operations, items of business, what have you, to address. First of all, if you haven't yet, you should definitely subscribe to this podcast either at thegarrettashleymulletshow.com where you can get signed up for email alerts right to your email inbox when new content is produced. Also, If you are listening to this podcast on your favorite platform, whatever it might be, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Radio Public, the works, Amazon Podcasts, definitely hit subscribe and don't just hit subscribe, also give a rating, if you will. Leaving a good review for this podcast will help the algorithms to drive it to a new uh, audience and to expand the audience. That's something that I want to do is I do want to expand and grow this audience. I want to serve well the folks who are here. And then I also too want to serve well more and more people. So help me out in that way, help others out as well. But that said, in this episode, I want to talk more generally about our emotional state and how it relates to what is true, what is beautiful, and what is good. What is true, what is beautiful, and what is good. Now, I've talked about truth quite a lot on this podcast. That is one of the really key important things that, uh, you know, even if we're just talking about some specific political candidate or some political issue, or we're talking about education, or we're talking about family dynamics, or we're talking about work, or we're talking about theology. Truth is so very, very critically important. But so also is beauty. And yes, goodness is important, but the truth is good. And there's more besides just truth strictly defined that is good. Beauty is also good, for instance. Now, this might strike some people as odd for me to say, but beauty is a good thing. And I think part of why it's a good thing is that beauty is enjoyable. If God makes a sunset or a sunrise beautiful, it stands to reason to my mind that he wants us to enjoy that scene. He wants us to enjoy it. He has given us creation to steward, yes, but we shouldn't think of stewardship as the only dimension of our relationship to what God gives us. There's also enjoyment. And beauty is one of the things, one of the characteristics that an object or a feature or an event or a person can embody. And what does it mean when something or someone is 
beautiful. For that matter, what does it mean when something is good or someone is good? What does that mean? And is it related to whether truth is being communicated through what's being said, what's being written, what's being done? Is it related, but is it distinct? Of course it's distinct, but even just asking the question can be helpful for putting these things in separate categories that are also right next door to one another. Truth and beauty and goodness should go hand in hand like three friends hopping and skipping and making their way down a path. But what is truth? Pontius Pilate asks that question in a very cynical way. What is truth? It's a way of dismissing truth being important. It's a way of saying the truth is whatever I say it is, or the truth is whatever is convenient at the time. He's not asking and actually wanting to be told by Jesus when Jesus is on trial in front of Pontius Pilate. He's not wanting Jesus to tell him what the truth is. Pontius Pilate is making a statement. He wants to be unclear on the truth, but we shouldn't want that. The truth is critically important so that we can think, feel, and act rightly. And when we do, when we think, act, and feel as we ought to, well, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful way of being. So also, not everything that glitters is gold. Some things and some people are beautiful at first glance, and then you get to know them a little bit more. Perhaps they've been resting on their laurels, so to speak. Yes, they're beautiful, but also they have no sense whatsoever. They're always banking on, capitalizing on the fact that they're beautiful to gain an advantage, and people give them a pass because they're beautiful. You know, I was reading this book here recently, Sex, Lies, and Scantrons. And the book is perhaps a partially fictionalized account of the author's experience going to public school, K through 12. And it's not a good experience. We'll just say that. It's a very cynical and uh, disgusted and honestly disgusting account of his bad experience going to public schools in New York. And one of the things he says that I, I was just struck by is he was talking about being paired up, he and his classmates, to practice promenading. And he got paired up with a very beautiful classmate of his, a very beautiful girl. But he says, as he's kind of unpacking how he felt about that, he says that it didn't count for much to his mind because in high school, very often, the beautiful people are also very popular and the popular people are also very mean. And so, yes, she's beautiful, but she's also kind of awful. She's beautiful on the outside, but she's ugly to people. And so that makes her not beautiful. So 
the question then becomes, how should we think of beauty? How should we think of goodness? How should we think of truth? And how do we embody all of the above in a way that is holistic and blameless and pleasing to the Lord and in a way that is beneficial to one another? How can we embody these things? You know, for that matter, it's a funny thing. My son, John's birthday was yesterday and he just turned four and he is a little ray of sunshine in all our lives. Very sweet, very talkative. And he wanted a rubble cake. And for those of you who are unfamiliar, there's this show, long running show for kids called Paw Patrol. And of course you all must be familiar, but there's this show, Paw Patrol, that features these talking superhero dogs. And one of the dogs, John's favorite dog, is named Rubble. He's this little English bulldog, I think, I do believe. But he's a construction worker. His superpowers have to do with being able to build and move earth and tear stuff down and, you know, stuff like that. You know, good construction worker type stuff. And one of the dogs is a fireman, and one of the dogs is a policeman, or police dog, I guess, fire dog. You know, they they each have their honorable blue-collar hero, working-class hero personae. But John wanted the rubble cake. And so my wife was debating on the front end what she was going to do, whether she was going to make him a rubble cake or you know, can we buy a rubble cake or, you know, like, what do we have time for and what else are we trying to do and accomplish? And so you've got to prioritize, you know, you can't do everything all at once, all at the same time and do it well. But she decided to go ahead and make him a rubble cake. And it turned out great. It had uh, Oreo crumbles to kind of resemble dirt and then a little rubble toy on top. Uh, the cake topper was rubble in a earth mover and the bucket has Oreo crumbles and in white lettering is happy birthday, John. And then we had four candles that were just the simple inexpensive, uh, stick variety plus a number four candle as well. And it was great. It turned out great. And he was tickled. He was very happy, but as we were talking about how this cake was going to turn out and you know how uh, ambitious she wanted to be for John's birthday, we got to talking a little bit, just touching briefly, and I, th- I think she brought it up. I wouldn't have brought it up, but I think she brought it up. Maybe one of the boys did. Uh, but my birthday cake this past year, my 35th birthday cake uh, was a Pinterest idea, and there's some really funny compare and contrast uh, Pinterest ideas gone wrong if you look them up. People will find some really great art or craft or culinary thing or fashion to uh, try out in their own life. And, <laughs> you know, it's like expectations versus reality. Uh, very often it just goes hilariously awry, uh, for whatever reasons. Well, in this case, 
the cake that Lauren made for me was just, it was, uh, <laughs> it was so bad. It was just awful. Uh, from an, from an aesthetic standpoint, it, it just didn't turn out and it kind of looked like it, it kind of looked like something from Ghostbusters. Like it just, it was, <laughs> it was scary bad, but also it was delicious. And also too, it was beautiful in its own way because it, she made it out of love. She wasn't trying to make it awful. She was trying to make it nice and it just didn't turn out. And it was good to eat anyways. And it was almost more enjoyable just for how awful it was because we all got a good laugh. And that's the thing of it too. Something can be not beautiful on the outside. You know, take for instance, a cake gone wrong. Something can be not beautiful on the outside and still be good and still be beautiful in its own way. Maybe it's not aesthetically beautiful, but maybe from a sentimental standpoint, from a gesture standpoint, hey, like you just, I, I'm sorry, you know, like I tried, I gave it my best shot and I, I don't know what happened. It was, I was trying something new. I was trying to be original and different and like it just, this was an experiment gone wrong and uh, I'm sorry, you know, <sighs> that happens. And yet I think it's kind of like the other side of the coin from the story of the promenade practice in this book I just read. You know, sometimes things that are beautiful on the outside actually are very ugly on the inside. And things that are not as beautiful on the outside are actually very beautiful on the inside. And so you, you don't want to judge books by the cover. But the flip side is too, you know, kind of like with the cake last night. You know, here's the tell, uh, perhaps, because I asked Lauren, just in jest, not, not mocking her, but just, you know, teasing her a little bit. Uh, the, the, the test, I think, if you go back and listen to yesterday's episode, I think the test is for one, the context for two, the audience for three, the motive. And I wasn't trying to put her down or, or hurt her feelings. I was trying to get her to smile or laugh, but I asked her, I said, so <laughs> what happened? Uh, this time, uh, you know, why did this one turn out so good? And mine didn't. And her answer was that she kept it simple. And I think that that actually is uh, a big part of it. I think that's part of the secret to things turning out well is keeping it simple. Now, I say that, and even in saying that, all sorts of questions can arise. Oh, but what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? You know, what if I don't know what the truth is? And sometimes the truth is confusing to me and it doesn't feel simple at all to try and get at the truth. You know, what if the question of aesthetics and what is beautiful and how we should relate to it and, and also for that matter, how should we approach having or embodying beautiful things? If man's sinful nature is in the mix and you could have, for one, selfish ambition, vain conceit on our part, you know, we're embodying this beautiful thing because we want an advantage over people instead of to love our maker and to love one another well. 
or for that matter, we have this beautiful thing. Take Joseph, for instance. His father didn't give him a coat of many colors as a setup. He gave him a coat of many colors that was beautiful in its way, not just from a physical standpoint, I'm sure, but also from a sentimental value standpoint. It was a symbol of the father's affection. And Joseph's brothers were jealous. They weren't jealous first and foremost of the coat. You know, Notice what happens when they seize him and take his coat. They don't take it and decide which one of them is going to have it now. No, they're content to destroy the coat because they don't want him to have it, which I think also, too, teaches us something about human nature. And I think also, too, this is part of the reason why, part of the reason why, or it's at least related to the reason why, one of the Ten Commandments is to not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. You know, it really does take a lot of the enjoyment out of a good thing when as soon as you get that good thing and you are celebrating, someone comes along to rain on your parade because, well, how come he got one and I didn't? And then all of a sudden, they're trying to destroy your happiness. You know, again, this is something that we talked about in yesterday's episode. It's not appropriate to mourn at a wedding. You know, in Lauren's, in my case, uh, there were a particular set of teary eyes at our wedding that we weren't sure, for sure, for sure, uh, whether they were tears of happiness or tears of sadness. And if we had to guess, we would guess the latter. but it's not appropriate to mourn at a wedding. And for that matter, it's not appropriate to celebrate at a funeral. It's unseemly. It's bad. But so also, when somebody is happy and excited because something good has happened to them or they have obtained a good thing, when we love them, we celebrate with them and we're happy for them. And when a bad thing happens to them, we mourn with them. We don't mourn when a good thing happens to them. We don't celebrate when a bad thing happens to them. Not if we love them. We don't. And so we read one of the Ten Commandments is not to covet anything, like anything whatsoever, not their house, not their servants, not their clothes, not their furniture, not anything that belongs to our neighbor, which is a, it's a curious thing. And it seems like a lot of the rest of the commandments have to do with your physical actions, but coveting has to do with what's in your heart and what's in your mind. And I dare say part of the reason for God forbidding coveting is that when we covet, like Joseph's brothers, very often we're content to tear down what other people have, the nice things that other people have, just so we don't have to covet. It's an uncomfortable thing. Now, so also, a certain measure of consideration should be in the mix, but only to a point. Only to a point. There are limits. You know, if I have a friend who's just lost his job, for instance, it might be the case that I have a good job. Does that mean that it's appropriate and kind and loving towards him if all of a sudden he asks how I'm doing and I start waxing eloquent about how good my job is. And I just, ah, da, 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 da. no, maybe not. 
Maybe that's not so helpful. Maybe I'm not building him up. Maybe I'm not serving him well in that moment. Let's say I have a friend who's having a hard time in his marriage. His marriage is just really, really on the rocks. They're really struggling right now. Is that an ideal time for me to be going on and on and on about how great my marriage is? No, maybe not. Maybe not. Now, what could be, though, what could be is if you start having some ideas and some advice from personal experience, well, hey, you know, I actually have a pretty good job, and here's how I got it. And here's something you could try. Have you thought about this? You know, like that could be building them up. But the motive is critically important. Is the motive to build them up? Or is the motive to frustrate, discourage them, to get them to think much of you? That's very important. You know, a good thing, a beautiful thing, a true thing might elicit jealousy in others. But I think also this is another reason why we're called to share and we're called to not do anything from vain or selfish ambition. You know, there are going to be people who even just with regards to good conduct and having a good attitude will boil inside because we have something that they don't. They might not even be sure what it is, but maybe it's even just decency or confidence or happiness. They see that we have that and it galls them because not only do they not have it, they don't know how to get it either. But there too, I think if we are making it our goal to do nothing from vain or selfish ambition, we make it easier for them to spot that it's wrong for them to be coveting. We make it easier for them to not blame us for their negative emotion, for their feeling frustrated, their feeling angry, their feeling resentful. We make it easier for them to come to terms with their own sin. But as for the enjoyment of the thing, it's not good and proper when God gives us good gifts and we feel guilty for having received those gifts. Nor is it good and proper if we find ourselves having to live simply and we grumble against God and we're angry and frustrated all the time. We should be content in whatever lot is dealt to us. But when the lot that has been dealt to us is a good lot, we should also be content. That is to say, not just be content when it's a bad lot, also be content when it's a good one. You know, I have some family, by no means all, and I won't say who, but I have some family that is in my mind, and I think they would know who they are, who feel bad when they're enjoying good things. And for that matter, too, they will pour cold water on someone else having a good thing. And they're very quick to rush in with a check or even an insinuation that something is untoward. Well, just watch out, right? Like you're eating a cake that's delicious and beautiful. Watch out that you don't eat too much. You know, you don't want to become a glutton. Don't want to get diabetes. Really? Really? Stop. Stop it. I'm having one piece. I don't think now is the time. 
I think you're out of line. Might it ever be appropriate to tell somebody, hey, I think that's too much? Yeah, maybe like your third piece. We might have a problem, but let's not be so fast to feel bad about enjoying a good thing. You know, for another example, let's say you do really well in something that is scored or is a public event. You've got a solo you're supposed to sing or you're playing sports and you not only shut down the guy you were guarding on the other team, but you put a lot of points on the board for your team and you guys won. And that other team, they were really good, but you did really, really well. You were on your A game tonight. Is it appropriate to try and preemptively keep people from getting a big head by suggesting that it's not a good thing that you did well or suggesting that perhaps you are in the wrong to celebrate or to be very pleased? Is that untoward? I think that's untoward. It's good for us to enjoy good things. It's good for us to enjoy beautiful things. It's good for us to enjoy the truth. You know, growing up, my dad, <laughs> God love him, God bless him. And I don't know if he, like he might've been joking and it was just lost on me in the moment, but I definitely remember him telling me at one point that food is not to taste good. Food is to eat. You know, kind of like the uh, line, again, from Fiddler on the Roof. I quote Fiddler on the Roof entirely too much, but I can't stop. Sorry. Speaking of true and beautiful and good, that's a beautiful movie. But beautiful movie. It's just like, I don't know. My favorite musical, apparently. But there's this question <laughs> asked by one of the daughters to Golda, the mother, you know, what if he's ugly? And the mother says, a husband is not to look at. A husband is to get. Which is to say, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if he's a good-looking guy. All I care about is whether he's going to take care of you. That's all I care about. And meanwhile, the daughter is like, well, no, it's kind of a, kind of a big deal to me whether my husband would be attractive to me, whether I, I would find him to be handsome. That's kind of, kind of a big deal to me. But my dad, he had this perspective that food, like it just, it doesn't need to taste good. <laughs> it just needs to be nutritious. So he would think first and foremost about the nutritional value. And if it doesn't taste good, well then, oh well. And actually too, for that matter, if it does taste really good, well, it's probably not very nutritious, you know. And I'm thinking to myself, well, what if it can be both? Could it be both? Is it okay if it's both? I think I think it'd be okay. You know, kind of like the daughter, and I don't remember which daughter it is. I think it's Seidel and Golda who are having the conversation. But, you know, is it okay if the would-be husband takes good care of her and also is okay to look at? Like, is that okay to have both? That'd be okay. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But that is to say, too, there is a rational part of us that does really well with numbers and the math. And let's say in the case of a young lady who has 
several potential suitors. She's a beautiful young lady. You know, take take my daughter, for instance. Don't take her. I will end you. But I'm just saying, you can let's use her as an example here for the illustration. <laughs> my daughter Evelyn, beautiful and sweet and funny and smart. And in ten years, let's say, maybe she has four suitors. Four young men who are all interested in asking her hand in marriage, which is not an impossible scenario to my mind. I mean, call me biased, but that, that, that could happen. It seems plausible. Well, these four suitors, they come along, and one of them is very smart. He's very, very smart. He's a very intelligent young man, and uh, you know, he wears blue light filtering glasses, uh, all the time, even when he's not looking at a computer screen. Very smart, has more degrees than Fahrenheit, uh, and he knows a lot of trivia. For that matter, he has a great job. He went out and he got a degree, and now he's got a great job, and he makes lots of money, and he's interested in my daughter, but he's not a nice person. He's interested in her because she would be a kind of trophy to him. She's beautiful, and he wants to surround himself with beautiful things, and he just regards my daughter as a beautiful thing. Now, scenario two, suitor two. Who's behind door number two? Door number two, here is a guy who finished high school, barely, but he works and he's self-sufficient, and he doesn't have a fancy car, wardrobe full of nice suits, expensive watches, but he volunteers at the soup kitchen, and he visits widows and orphans in their need, and he's just a, he's just a good guy all around. Doesn't get into trouble, just decent. Just a decent, hardworking, honest guy. And he also is interested in my daughter. And he's interested because he thinks she's sweet. He, he, he's a sweet guy after a fashion, if you can say that about guys, and it's okay. But he's just like a kind, compassionate soul. And he regards my daughter as being sweet and kind and compassionate. And... That catches his attention. And then let's suppose there's a suitor three. And suitor three is, man, he, like he's a he's a good looking dude. Like works out all the time, eats right, very athletic, very strong, and just a like he's a he's a handsome fella. But doesn't have a great job and also doesn't particularly pay attention to other people. He likes to get attention, but he doesn't like to pay attention to other people. Not a good conversationalist unless he's talking about sports and he's talking about his latest exploits. But he's interested in my daughter. And he's interested in my daughter because he's a good-looking guy, she's a good-looking gal. Boy, they would look really good together. But not particularly bright because that's not where he invests himself. Not ambitious, except 
to look handsome. Very, very concerned with his appearance. Gets a haircut every week. Goes to the tanning salon. And then let's suppose there's a fourth guy. Just hypothetically. Fourth suitor. This guy, he reads. He works hard. He goes out of his way. If he sees somebody that needs help, he stops what he's doing, if at all he can. And he either helps them himself or he tags somebody in he knows will be able to help. He's not a pretty boy, but he's taking care of himself. He dresses with dignity and self-respect, and he keeps himself in good enough shape to be able to serve the people in his life. He's got good character. He's intelligent. My daughter doesn't mind his company. He's respectful towards her, towards our family. You know, that fourth guy, Evelyn, yeah, you might might talk with him. Have you, have you talked with him much recently? You know, because there's a wholeness, right? There's a wholeness to his person. I think that's part of how we should look at this question of truth and beauty and goodness. Are we being a whole person intentionally? What is the first and greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. That covers all the bases. With all of you, every fiber of your being, mental, emotional, spiritual, physical. And then we read the second command is like it, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So that's good. That's good that you would love your neighbor as you love yourself. But if you're loving God with every fiber of your being and That's the driving force behind you loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, so also too, I think it affects the way you relate in all those dimensions. It also affects how you treat that person. You consider that person from a mental standpoint, an emotional standpoint, a spiritual standpoint, a physical standpoint. You know, fast forward, and we're a ways off, obviously, of course, but fast forward 10 years, Some suitors come a-calling. They'd like permission to write to Anne. (laughs) Of course you call yourself a man. There's a patriot reference for you. Yeah, they'd like permission to call on my daughter and to court her, if you will. One of them will take care of her from the standpoint of she will never lack for money, but he's a jerk, and he's going to break her heart. Yeah, she'll have a roof over her head, nice things. She'll never be hungry, but he won't be kind. Thank you, next. Nope, get out of here. Get. Another one. Yeah, okay, he's he's a sweetheart. He is, but I don't know. Another one. Hey, he's a good-looking guy. Yeah, I know two ways about it, sweetie. Yep. He's a handsome feller, but also you're never going to be able to talk about books. You're just, <laughs> you know, and God bless the people out there who are in the gym all the time, take really good care of themselves, athletic. I mean, no disrespect, but you should invest in your mind too. Work, work out your brain. Think of your brain as a muscle too. Yeah. Be a balanced person. 
And it's kind of like skipping leg day, right? Don't skip leg day. Yeah, don't skip brain day either. Every day is brain day. <clears throat> but, you know, here's my point. Like my, my point is it's okay that we all have shortcomings and we all have limitations. And so you have to be able to consider what's of first importance. But it's also okay if we are considering the emotional component when we interact with one another, not being needlessly offensive. You know, I, I worry a little bit going back to yesterday's, yesterday's episode again, and also a lot of conversation from this past week, and also a lot of conversation from years and years. I worry that my advice for those who would listen will seem to be we should treat others in a callous way. That's not what I mean. You know, if I write some essay on whether Christians should ever mock anyone for any reason in any circumstance, what I don't intend is for us to go from never ever to all the time. That's not healthy. That's not proper. You know, I think the test actually, as I was revisiting that essay this morning, preparing it to post to WordPress, I think the test is whether what we would mock is actually a true thing, a beautiful thing, or a good thing. It, it boils my blood, and I, I'm speaking as an outsider. Obviously, I am a man, and I identify as a man because I am a man. I am not a woman. I have never been a woman. I have never felt like a woman trapped in a man's body. So let's just get that out of the way. My middle name might be Ashley, but <laughs> don't misunderstand. <laughs> man, I don't feel like a woman. I feel like a, I feel like a man. But I see sometimes, I observe as an outsider, women who can be mean to other women because they feel jealous that, hey, that girl, that woman is prettier than I am, more beautiful than I am. I wish I was that beautiful. I wish I was that pretty. Ah, that's not good. You start mocking some other lady, some other girl, because she's pretty and you're trying to take her down or at least bring her down to what you feel like is your level or a manageable level. That's not okay. That's not good. That's wicked. That's wicked. To my mind, it's the equivalent verbally, rhetorically very often of Joseph's brothers taking the coat of many colors that their father had given Joseph and ripping and tearing it, covering it in blood. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't mock beautiful things just because you don't feel beautiful. How about this? You know, you, here, here's the antidote. When we're tempted to covet, don't for one, but also for another thing, rather than you just being jealous that they have some good thing, maybe you could focus your efforts on being content with what the good Lord has given you for starters. And maybe you could even try and figure out, okay, well, how did they do that? Is that something I also can have? I see somebody and, and I'll confess, like if I'm tempted, sometimes I am tempted to compare myself to other people who have been more materially successful. They have a big, beautiful house. And it's, it's not that I'm upset with them for having a big, beautiful house, but if I'm tempted, it's to feel, 
a tinge of jealousy. Like, hmm. I wish I had a big, beautiful house. But if I camp out there, that's not good. For one, that can poison my relationship with this person who shouldn't feel bad. They shouldn't feel apologetic that they have a big, beautiful house. They didn't take my big, beautiful house. They worked and they earned and they built in some cases or they bought or maybe they bought and then they built on. They fixed that up. They gave it a makeover. But I don't help them. I don't love them well. I don't honor my maker at all to be jealous of their house. What I could do instead is I could say, hey, here's what they did. Maybe I could do something like that. Maybe I just need to work at it. Or maybe I need to be content with what the good Lord's given me because maybe he's given me other good gifts instead of that. Maybe he'll give me that good gift someday. And maybe he has me in this condition for now for a good purpose and for a good reason. And I'm going to miss out on that good purpose if I'm obsessed with what I don't have and what he or she has that I wish I had. You can never run out of things to be jealous of if you don't have them because you can't have everything. Where would you put it? (laughs) The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, which is to say it's not yours, but he might give it to you. He might give you a certain portion and whatever portion he gives, you should be glad. And if you feel any need, you should pray, not be anxious, but pray because it all belongs to God and he can give you what you need. Well, that too is good and true and beautiful. Contentedness. Godliness with contentment is great gain. But we shouldn't mock things that are true because we will drive people away from the truth. You know, I I hate it, for example, when I come across a clip from Trevor Noah or Stephen Colbert, these late night Comedy Central type hosts who anymore, they're just not even funny. Saturday Night Live too. They're just not funny. There's old stuff that they did that is hilarious. And yes, it's mocking very often. Exaggerating, satirizing, caricaturing people and things that we can laugh at. But in recent years, they have taken more and more to just a very unfunny type of comedy. And I think the reason it's not funny is because there has to be truth in order for jokes to land. That's the test. There's always a grain of truth in the best jokes. And sometimes the subtler, the better. But if something is a joke that pushes us away from the truth, that's not funny. That's very dangerous. I'm going to laugh at virtue. I'm going to laugh at truth. And then you will give up on the truth and bad things will happen to you. And that's very unfunny. I can't laugh at that. I can't. I can't and I won't. No, shame on you. That is, I believe personally, that is what a scoffer is. A scoffer is someone who laughs at virtue and truth and beauty for that matter. So we shouldn't. We shouldn't laugh at truth and goodness and beauty. But I I don't want to give the wrong impression that I think we should be insensible to the emotional state we are putting other people into. Now, I would argue a well-timed joke can break a lot of tension and actually can love 
even the butt of the joke well if they're in on it. So for instance, my wife baked this cake for my birthday and I love her no less. If anything, maybe I am glad that it didn't turn out because it gave me a good laugh and laughter is good for the soul. Laughter heals the bones. But if I make a joke or if I laugh about it, I should be sensitive to, am I, am I causing her pain? Am I discouraging her? Am I making her feel less? Or is she laughing with me? If she can laugh with me, well, then that's one thing. Let's say I'm in an argument with somebody and it's getting just a little bit tense. It's just the temperature is going up and up. We're both getting a lot more rapid fire. So we're going back and forth. And then a funny thought occurs to one or the other of us. And so a joke slips out in passing. You can't tell me if the joke happens to be at my expense or their expense just a little bit, but I can tell that they wanted me to laugh at it as well. You can't tell me that that's in the same category as them trying to put me down. I just, I I don't think it's in the same category. I think it belongs in a separate category. And if their intention and if my intention is for us to resolve our conflict and to be kind to one another, to treat one another well, well, that's good. That's good. Maybe, hey, we're, we're getting a little too worked up here. Let's break the tension with a well-timed joke that's appropriate, considerate. That's good. Now, for another matter, in a whole different category, let's say I and somebody else are not friends, but this guy is just totally full of himself and being a total jerk. And he's got everybody afraid of him, and that's his power. His power is that everybody's afraid of him. And so he does whatever he wants, And everybody takes him way too seriously. And everybody's under the impression that he is correct. And they're afraid to even think about the possibility that he's not correct because they wouldn't want to stand up to him. I think that's exactly the scenario that the people who were coming out hungrily to hear Jesus preach and teach in the Gospels were in with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They were terrified to step out of line or to, question to challenge the Pharisees on anything. And then Jesus comes along and he rebukes these guys and he brings them down to size publicly. Moreover, he warns the people, unless your righteousness exceeds the Pharisees' righteousness, you're not getting in. (laughs) Ouch. That's spicy. Well, Jesus says that, and if you or I said it, would it be always and only wrong, or if Jesus is our example, does his talking that way at certain points in certain contexts need a really close look? I mean, yes, we should be careful. We, we definitely should be careful. The naturally more kind and gentle souls, God bless them. Uh, I, I mean that. I don't, I don't say that to be flippant. Uh, God bless them because they do a lot of good. They do. They would say, well, we need to be very, very careful. Yes. Yes, you're right. But also that cuts both ways. We need to be careful to not suggest that there's never a place for a well time to joke. You know, let's say four suitors come a Colin at various times, hopefully not all at the same time, although it would be entertaining to have them dueling on the front yard. You guys just uh, 
have a free-for-all. Good luck. May the best man win. <laughs> but, you know, they, these four guys, they come a-calling. And the guy is a total jerk. And he's egotistical. You know, I might just poke a little bit of fun just to see how he reacts and how he responds. If he bristles and he's just super, super sensitive and he can't take a joke, mm, I think you're uptight and you think more highly of yourself than you ought. And so, no, you work on that. Get get that looked at and then maybe we can talk. But no, in the meantime, you know, the guy who is, he's very wholesome and he's very kind and compassionate but he has no intentions of getting a stable job and being able to provide for my daughter. He's always giving to everyone else. I might say, you know, I really appreciate your care for other people, but if you're pursuing my daughter, you're going to have to care for her. She needs to be a higher priority than the soup kitchen. If only one can get your attention today, it needs to be my daughter or else, no, I cannot give my blessing and I won't give my permission. No. I I might not mock him. I might not mock him unless he pushes back and starts bristling and starts getting, again, prickly about it, like the first guy. What's your interest in my daughter? You think she should just be a trophy? She comes with you to fancy dress parties and just sits in the corner, doesn't talk, makes you look good? No. Nope. Nope. And yes, I might make fun of him if he takes himself too seriously. For one thing, to test him, almost like uh, radar and sonar pings. Let's see where you're at here. (laughs) Almost like flushing birds out of thick bushes and trees. Get him, you know. You send the, the hunting dog in, go get him. The point being, I think... A great deal of intentionality should be in the mix anytime we're communicating. Anytime. Regardless of who we're talking with, we should be very, very careful and we should study our hearts to figure out, okay, what is in my heart that I would say this? Yes, think before you speak. That's why you should, you know, that's why it says be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry for the Anger of man does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. If your jokes are likely to incite greater anger, you might consider whether that's your goal and you're just trying to upset people. Because that could be properly termed contentious. Now, if your jokes were intended for some good, you were trying to do them good or do someone else good, well, that's a different story. I, at least it is to me. I, I, I can't help but think of it as a different story. I think too, and I got to wrap it up. <clears throat> so this will be a, a closing thought. I think too that a big question in my mind, honestly, I, an honest question, I'm not presuming to teach here. I'm, I'm just sharing my notes, showing my work, if you will. But a big question in my mind is if we never show any difference in respect to people, whether they're in positions of authority or they're not, 
based on their conduct, based on their handling of truth, beauty, and goodness, if we always only show them an equal respect, no matter what, can that sometimes, when their conduct, their statements, their manner is loathsome, wicked, corrupt, can that potentially verge on flattery? Honest question. Honest question. You know, what is flattery for that matter? You know, again, with the intentions, I think intentions are important. If my intention in paying somebody a compliment is to gain an advantage with them, to think uh, differently, or rather to, to cause them to think differently, you know, if I'm wanting them to like me and to do me favors and to give me what I'm asking for, or to let me get away with something that I'm trying to do, and I'm complimenting them, but I'm saying things that aren't true about them, that's flattery. And flattery is bad. <laughs> like, I, I, <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Flattery is bad. Don't do it. Um, you know, like, so, so there's two problems. There's two problems, to my mind, if four suitors show up and I say, well, you guys are all equally good-looking, equally wealthy, equally kind, it's a toss-up. But I know that that's not true. I know that's not the case. This guy is not very nice. That guy is not very wise. This guy is vain. This guy is a whole person. When I know that, Am I serving either the guy who has done really well? Am I serving him well to put him in the same category as these other guys, or am I insulting him? Honest question. You know, I had a, a work situation, my previous place of employment, where it was me and one other guy, and the two of us took care of all the instrumentation, all the controls. If one of us was working really hard, and being very diligent and applying ourselves consistently and giving honest answers even to a fault. And the other one was constantly slacking, skipping things, bragging about slacking and skipping things, lying when asked explanations on why certain items had not been attended to or taken care of, lying about people, being slanderous, being disrespectful, rude, obnoxious, loud, inconsiderate, selfish. But I was trying to work hard, pay attention, pick up the slack, be attentive, be proactive, give honest answers, honest updates, come early, stay late. When we both got the same raise, irrespective of performance, even though we had been told we were all going to get a performance bump, it was not just unjust to flatter him in that way and to say, oh yeah, you're doing great, when it wasn't so. And I don't, I don't mean him ill at all either. I tried to help in this regard. Don't know how much any of what I said and did stuck. <clears throat> I'll leave that to the good Lord. But it was wrong for him to get flattered with the same raise that I got. For that matter too, it was also wrong for my work, my hard work, an investment to be given the same treatment as his 
when we were told it was going to be a performance-based increase. So here's my point. My point is somebody is telling the truth and some other person over here or a lot of other people are lying. Some person is trying to fill their surroundings with beauty because that's one of the ways that they love the people around them. So many others are embracing ugliness because they are ugly on the inside. Somebody is trying to be a good, decent person and encourage other people to also be good when so many others are being corrupt and evil and wicked. We do the person who's doing well a disfavor to lump them in with the wicked and the foolish. They're being good and wise. We're going to lump them in with the wicked and foolish. We will flatter the wicked and the foolish thereby, and we will also discourage and frustrate those who are good and wise. We shouldn't do that. We shouldn't do that in the way we talk to them, in the way we treat them. There should be a reward for decency, for goodness, for truth-telling, for truth-knowing, and for beauty. i got to leave it there, though. That's all the time I've got for this episode. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.